Well, my name is Tim Jones, and we are so glad that you're here with us today. My, uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm over all of our small groups and everything like that, and we're so glad that you're here with us today. Today, we are in our conclusion of in our series, In the Light. And so for the last three weeks, Trent has done an amazing job of guiding us through this tension that we all wrestle with. And the tension is between light and darkness, light which represents God's truth, light which represents God's principles that change us or that can change us, and light which represents the life that God wants us to have. And then there's darkness, and darkness represents the lives that we have apart from God, and also represents the choices that we make that take us away from God. And darkness also comes from the world, and sometimes we choose to live by what the world says instead. And so when we look at the things of this life, the reality is that we are attracted to both the light and the darkness. And the way that we try to manage this tension is by living in the shadows. So not really fully in the light, but not really fully in the darkness. And it's in the shadows that God often encounters us. And when we are living in the shadows, God often comes at us with a truth that he wants us to wrestle with. And it's up to us to make a decision on whether we will embrace that truth or not. So for the last three weeks, we've looked at three different people's stories in the Bible who were living in the shadows. And as they were living in the shadows, God approached them. And what we learned through their stories is that their stories is a lot like our stories. And so when we see how God was working in their stories, we often see how God is working in our own story as well and how he approaches us and how he is drawing us towards the light and towards his love. Now today we are going to bring to light another subject that we often wrestle with, that we often have this tension around. For me growing up, um, I had an amazing father and mother who often would help people in their needs, uh, that is, spiritually. And so they were always giving of their time to help people towards God. But one of the things that I really wasn't very familiar with is helping people who had some physical needs. And so after Sarah and I got married, uh, I became a resident director over several middle dorms at a university while I was working on my graduate degree in seminary. And so can you imagine five floors 300 guys, and I'm in charge of these five floors and 300 guys, you know, 300 guys who were like going through like almost puberty again because their testosterone levels reached the same level as they did when they were in middle school. Could you imagine trying to keep 300 guys from like fighting each other, pulling pranks on each other, trying to like streak the campus every other night naked, or they were uh, taking the command literally that God gave to Adam to like go out and be fruitful and multiply, you know? (laughs) Yeah, quite a challenge to wrestle with those guys and get them in line each night as we try to keep them safe. But anyways, on one of my floors, there was this guy, and his name was Sean, okay? And Sean was very, very socially awkward, okay? There were room requests that I had from his roommates right away that they wanted to leave his room. And so uh, Sean really didn't have many friends. In fact, the entire dorm just kind of tolerated him. Well, as I got to know Sean, it became apparent that he had some needs. And there were some guys on the floor that also knew that he had some needs as well. See, Sean was very bright, but he was also had some major issues. And one of those issues was that he was not taking showers 
I kid you not, like he was not taking showers. And so some of these guys on the floor, they decided to help him. And they decided in a good way to help him. Some of them did, some of them didn't. Uh, One of the ways that these guys tried to help him was actually buy shampoo, buy some soap, and encourage him to take some showers, but it wasn't working. Some other guys on the floor had the idea of like taking a huge uh, 30-gallon trash can and setting it up against his door and flooding his entire room to make him smell better. And so Sean just needed some help. And it came to my attention that, yeah, you know, we need to step in and we need to do something. Now, I have to be honest here, okay? When a person like Sean comes into my life, and again, he was very socially awkward, couldn't really have a great conversation with you, was just off when you were talking to him, looking in all different directions. I mean, ADD, everything, it was just like crazy. When I meet a person like Sean, my first initial response isn't good, okay? I really don't want to help somebody like Sean. In fact, when I've run across people like that before, I didn't end up helping those people at all. Now, I say that because often we wrestle with that same tension as well. When we come across someone that needs help, there's a lot of us in this room that say, you know what, do we really get involved or not? Is that somebody else's problem? And I am very tempted, just like you're tempted, to retreat into the shadows and do nothing. And here's some of the ways that we, when we run across somebody who's in need, that we retreat into the shadows and into the darkness with someone who needs help. One of the ways that we do that is when somebody has a need, we start to go through our mental lists and we start coming up with reasons of why we can't help. And we build this case of why we can't help that person. Lists such as, you know what, I just don't have time. I really don't know that person. Do they really need help? What if I help? If I help, will I have to help even more? You know, I helped that person last time, uh, and I got burnt last time. And so we go through our mental list, building this case and trying to justify the reason why we don't get involved with a person. And for some of us, we've gone through those mental lists so many different times that we don't run those mental lists anymore because we already know what our decision is. Our decision is no. We're not going to get involved when someone needs our help. And then another way that we kind of retreat into the shadows and into the darkness is that we pass the buck. You know, when we see somebody who's in need, we make it somebody else's problem. We say it's their responsibility. So some of the things that we say is, you know what, things are just too overwhelming here. Um, You know, they should know somebody. Somebody else should be able to help them. Or we say, you know what, where's their family? Their family should be able to jump in and help them out in this situation. Or for some of us, we say, you know what, that's the government's problem, you know? That's why I pay taxes, and that's what that program is there for. Or for some of us, especially if we're Christ followers, we use this excuse. Sometimes we say, you know what, we can't help you, but we'll pray for you, you know? And so we end up passing the buck to someone else. We take the responsibility, the problem that's right in front of us, and we make it somebody else's responsibility, And then for some of us, the other way that we retreat into the shadows is that we all of a sudden look at the situation and we say, man, this is way too big of a problem for me. You know, what can I do? You know, the issues are too great. There's no way that I can help. And if I start to help, will they continue to want more help? And there's so many people who need help. And so we don't help at all. Now, here's the dilemma, okay? Many of us know that when we retreat into the shadows, that it's wrong. But on the other hand, we also know that 
when there's so many issues that we can't really meet all the issues by ourselves. But here's what we don't really understand. We don't know what is hanging in the balance with that person's life of whether we get involved or not. When we retreat into the shadows, we don't know what's at stake in that person's life. So today we're going to examine what's at stake when we choose to help or we choose don't or, or in not to helping someone. And so that's what we're going to be wrestling with. That's the tension. That's the matter that we need to come out of the shadows in. So if you would, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And as you turn there, uh, check out this introduction. Most of us walk by him every day. He sat in a line along the wall, begging. I guess that's how you survive when you can't walk, can't work, can't care for yourself, really. I'm a fisherman, so I walk by there to sell my fish at the market. Some people take the long way to get around the beggars, but I got stuff to do in this way shorter. One day, he caught my attention. I think he told a Pharisee joke. A little raunchy, but nothing this fisherman hasn't heard before. Then he made fun of the fact that I smelled like fish. I told him if he didn't like it, he can move. He chuckled at my irreverence for his condition. I guess that's when I started looking at him in the eyes. There he was, no longer just a paralyzed beggar. He was a person. Not too many people talked to him because they said his paralysis was a sham, that he was a beggar who really could walk. Others said that his family should take care of him. It was their responsibility after all. And some said, let the government take care of him. Isn't that what our taxes do? Then there was the religious community. They said to leave him alone because he clearly had sinned greatly against God, and this was his curse. No one knew him. They just talked about him like they did. I guess he would have stayed like that forever. But one day when I was walking by, he had a small group around him. Three other friends who apparently checked in on him. They said that this rabbi, this Jesus was in town. He does miracles, one said. He heals the lame. At first, he didn't want to go. I'm sure he had gotten his hopes up to be healed before. But somehow, he agreed to let us take him to Jesus. When we got there, it was just a mass of people there. I guess this guy was the real deal. There was no getting in the door. There was no getting in through a window. Finally, one guy points to the roof. We had gotten this far. Why not cut a hole in the roof to literally get him in front of Jesus? I think all of us were just thinking, we have to get our friend to see Jesus, whatever the cost. So let me set the scene a little bit more. Uh, so here's Jesus, who's at the age of 30, launches out on kind of his first tour to tell people about God. And as he's out on this tour, uh, he is doing some amazing things. He's teaching like no one has ever taught before. In fact, he's starting to heal people. He's healing people who are blind. He's healing people who are diseased or are sick. And it's getting everyone's attention. People are taking like selfies of themselves of, with Jesus and saying, this man is amazing. Look what he did for me. He healed me. And so his popularity is starting to just grow like nobody's business had ever done before. And so here's Jesus who returns from his first tour and he returns to this place that was kind of like his home base. And he goes to this house, probably the house of Peter, one of his disciples or one of his followers of Christ, to kind of take a little bit of a break. But word starts to get out that Jesus is in town. So that's where we're going to start. So let's begin in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. 
When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. So back then, no one needed an invitation to come to somebody's house. You know, people could just stop by without an invitation. Now, we don't know how big this house was. Could it hold like 50 people all crammed together, maybe sitting on the ground? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. And we don't know how many people were outside the door. Maybe it was 100, maybe 1,000 people, but we know that there were a lot of people and it was hard to get to Jesus. And what we do know is that there are a lot of people in the crowd who were there, some who were probably curious about who Jesus was and that's why they were there, some who probably wanted Jesus to heal them because they had heard him healing so many other people. But what we do know is that there was a certain group of people who were there. There were the religious leaders of the day. And in the text later on, it'll show you that these religious leaders were camped out and they got front row seats. They were in the house because they wanted to see if Jesus was the real deal or not, because they were very doubtful that this guy was from God. They were so jealous of his popularity so soon. And so they wanted to see if this man was really from God. So let's pick up in verse two. While he, Jesus, was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. So imagine this scene with me. You know, here's these four men who know how desperate their friend is, who know his great need. And back then in the Jewish culture, if there was a person like this paralyzed man who was paralyzed, most people would think that he was cursed because he had sinned against God. And so you've got these people, uh, these four men who risk their reputations to help out this man. You've got these four men who risk uh, their reputations within the community to do something to help their friend out. And so they gather together and they go and get him on his mat and they bring him to this house where Jesus is at. And there's this huge crowd that's in front of them and they can't get to Jesus, but yet they are determined to get to Jesus. And so one of the guys comes up with a plan. Hey, let's go up the stairs on the side of the house, which was common back then to be able to get to the roof and do some of your chores on the roof of that day. So they go up to that roof and they get up on the roof. Now imagine if you're one of the people who are in that house and all of a sudden you hear some scratching from the roof and you're like, what is that? You know, and Jesus is teaching and it's getting louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden a hole starts to form in the roof. Now back then the roofs had these, a couple main support beams with branches of, uh, you know, from trees that laid across them and some kind of plaster type material that was made of mud and straw. And so this hole starts to get larger and mud's falling on people and straws falling on people. And they're like, okay, and Jesus is keep going, man, he's amazing, you know, and he's teaching about God right there. And this hole is getting larger and larger and there's light that's coming into this room. And all of a sudden it goes dark because all of a sudden it seems like this, there's this body that is now coming through this hole on Peter's ropes from his fishing gear. And this man is being lowered and he's lowered right in front of Jesus. And everybody knows who this guy is. I mean, they see him and they know that this is that paralyzed guy who is down by Capernaum, down by the sea and begging for fish every single day. And so here's this guy who's in front of Jesus. And I don't 
don't know if this happened or not, but I could imagine that this happened. I bet Jesus just started laughing. And I bet everybody was like, uh, what's going on here? And because Jesus is laughing, I bet everybody in the room just starts laughing. Peter was already laughing because there's mud in the face and the Pharisee's face. And so he's just laughing out loud. And so it covers his laughter, at, you know, laughing at the religious leaders of the day who had mud in their face at that moment. So here's everybody who's laughing. The guys, the four guys who are peering down from this hole, you know, are probably laughing as well. And they probably start high-fiving each other because they're probably thinking, man, Jesus is impressed with what we just did, you know? And so here's these guys who did an amazing work. It's something that should get our attention. They modeled something here that we should put into our lives, that we should put into action. Here's what's so impressive with what they did, okay? They knew this guy's story. They had a relationship with him. They knew his need. They knew he was not a fake. And the second thing that they did was that they gathered, okay? They gathered together. Not one person bared this burden. Instead, they all carried this guy's burden together. No one carried this burden by themselves. And the third thing that we can learn from them is that they went or go. They went and got this guy, you know, they didn't sit around talking about, well, what can we do with this guy? Okay, well, let's just have a little prayer time right here. Let's hold our hands, you know. No, they were moved to action. They did something about the need that they saw. And then finally, what did they do? Um, they gave. They gave. They gave of their time. They gave of their effort. And they gave even of their reputations. So the cost that they had was the effort that they had to give up that day. They probably lost some wages that day. They had to give some sweat to get this guy across town. But the greater cost that they probably had was that they risked their reputations to help this man get to Jesus. And so there's a lot that we can learn from this guy. Now, picking up back in Sean's story, uh, when I met with Sean, I got to hear his story. And it broke my heart. I mean, here's this 18-year-old kid that nobody wanted. That's what came about from his story. And the reason he was at college was because nobody wanted him. And so as I met with him and I decided that I needed to help him, it was because I saw a need and I knew I had to meet a need. And so one of the first discussions that we had was literally, Sean, let's talk about how you're showering, okay? And I don't know where you're at, but you really smell like you really do. And it wasn't like funny, like he reeked, his room reeked, okay? And it was bad. And so I talked to him. I said, Sean, are you washing your armpits? He's like, no. I said, Sean, let's have a conversation on how to have a shower. It was that bad. And then I said, you know what? I bet he doesn't have hardly any clothes. So we went up to his room and sure enough, he hardly had any clothes. So we got him some clothes. And then I said, you know what? I bet he doesn't know how to wash his clothes. And sure enough, he didn't know how to wash his clothes. Now, I wasn't the only person who helped. I gathered some of the guys on his floor who cared deeply about him, and they helped as well. They helped say, all right, Sean, everybody's going to the shower. Let's go, you know. Hey, everybody, we're washing our clothes today. Come on, Sean, you know. And so they gathered together around him to help him. Now, we didn't solve all of Sean's problems, okay? But we made a huge dent in some of the problems that he had. In fact, as we got to know Sean, we got to talk to him about his relationship with God. And God healed some things that in his life were broken. Some things in his life where people just had given up on him. 
And so as we got to know Sean, we saw a need, we met a need. And in that moment, we saw God restoring some things in his life, and Sean saw God doing some extraordinary things in his life. Now, he didn't become some great leader, you know. He didn't lead his generation, but he saw God working in his life. And so I bet in this moment, when these four guys are peering down, they are like saying, man, we've done it. We've got this, our friend in front of Jesus. You know, we've done all that we can. Now what? You know, it's up to Jesus. Here he goes. You know, if we know if he could and he would, he's going to heal this guy and it's going to be amazing. And I bet everybody in the room at that point is expecting Jesus to heal this guy and make him walk. But Jesus does something different. He does something shocking. He does something that really probably deflated the entire room of the excitement of seeing this paralyzed guy in front of Jesus who they thought he was about to heal. So let's see what Jesus does instead. Verse five, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And I think everybody in the room was like, You know, you just heard this gasp, like, what? Jesus, what are you saying? Like, what are you doing? We expected you to heal this guy. And you said, what? You said his sins are forgiven? Why did you say that? You know that only God can forgive sins. And I bet these four guys who are peering down from the roof and looking through, these guys who had given up their time, who'd went and gotten him on the mat, who'd made their way through this uh, tremendous crowd, who'd gotten to the roof and put a hole in the roof, I bet they were deflated the most, you know? Here they put in all this effort. They come up with this great idea. They want to see their friend healed. And yet, will all that effort go to waste? Now, I bet there were some people in the room who were not deflated. You know, they weren't surprised. And it was those religious leaders. They were like, hey, we told you so. And here we go. We've got some ammo now against Jesus. This guy's claiming to be able to forgive sins. Only God can do that. Check it out in verse six. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, now that's dangerous. We've covered that ground a lot, all right? Don't think around Jesus. That's not a good thing, all right? If you want to call him out, he will come out. So, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And I love this. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Man, I wish I had that ability. So Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, point blank, looked them in the eyes, kind of went, you know, I mean, he is like laser locked. Here we go. Here's the showdown. Here's the Western. And he says to them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? You see, Jesus is making a big statement right here to everyone, to us included. Here's what Jesus is saying to the audience in that moment. He's saying, you guys don't think that I don't know about his felt need. You don't think that I understand that this man desires to walk. You don't think that I understand that this guy just wants to be able to take care of himself without depending on other people. You don't think that I don't understand what these guys did to risk their reputations to bring this man before me at this moment. But I do. I do understand. 
And did you hear what I just said? I said to this man, your sins are forgiven, but you missed what I just did. See, I know and I understand what this guy's felt need is, but I also understand his primary need. And his primary need is forgiveness. Now, here's why Jesus is making this major point right here. When we think about Jesus and think about God, we don't often think about our primary need in this life while we're living it as, or that it is, forgiveness. The only time we think about that is when life takes the wrong course or when we're dying. Then do we really contemplate those subjects? But what Jesus is doing right here is he's making a point. He's saying to all these people, he's making a huge statement, when you see someone's need, it should clue you in on the deeper need in all of our lives. And the deeper need is this. The deeper need is that we all need to be forgiven. Because without forgiveness, we spend an eternity apart from God. And so he's saying, with forgiveness, we spend an eternity with God a relationship with him now, a relationship with him for eternity. And that's why Jesus died. And that's why he came, which he would later on demonstrate of the importance of this point that he's making that day. Now, if there was a statement to be backed up, Jesus backs up this statement, okay? Like if these guys were questioning, okay, can he really forgive sins, you know? Is he really this person from God? Is he really God? You know, I mean, he's claiming that he is, you know, and Jesus shows everyone that he is the light of the world, that he is God and can forgive sins. Look at what he does in verse 10. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I mean, this is like stinking amazing. Okay. This is like unbelievable. Here's Jesus, you know, who just proved to be God by healing this man and backing it up that he could forgive sins by healing this man. It's like, he just went like, you know, to those Pharisees. I mean, it was like, take that, you know, don't try that at home. Okay. All right. That's a special move. But anyways, here's Jesus who makes this major statement. It's like amazing. Okay. That Jesus heals this man to show that he can take care of our primary need, which is forgiveness. Now these four guys who'd brought this paralyzed man to Jesus did not understand his spiritual need, did not understand what hung in the balance with this man. You know, they could have easily said that day, you know what, we're going to uh, not go. You know, there's too many people. We hear there's tons of people who are going, you know, we're not going to go this day. All right, we'll go another time or something. Or they could have easily said, you know what? Um, you know, I just don't have the time to help. You know, let's put it on his family. His family has never helped ever before. And so it's their responsibility to help. Or they could have said, you know what? The need is too great. You know, if we take this guy on his mat, his mat might like break and he might get hurt even more. There's just too much of a need, but they didn't. They didn't do that. Instead, they stepped out of the shadows and into the light. And what they did, they said, you know what? We'll do what we can and we'll do it together. And God honored their faith. 
And so God used these guys not only to meet this guy's physical need, but also to meet his spiritual need, which was a need for a savior, which was a need for forgiveness. And so this is amazing what Jesus did in this moment to show everyone that he was God. And so when we look at different people, the same thing kind of happens in our life in terms of not knowing what hangs in the balance. So the same is true for us. You know, we don't know what's really at stake in other people's lives when we go to meet a need. And do you know that there's a lot of big needs right here in our own community? You know, when we look at our community, there are a lot of needs. There's a lot of needs in our schools. There's a lot of needs in our neighborhoods. There's a lot of needs in our county. Did you know that one in seven people live below the poverty line in our county? There's almost a hundred or just over a hundred thousand people that live in our county. That's a lot of people who are living below the poverty line. Did you know that one in nine people are unemployed? And at times, Flagler County is one of the highest areas for unemployment in our state, that it spikes back and forth, up and down, and sometimes that we are the highest in the state of Florida? Did you know that one in three single moms live below the poverty line in our county? That's a lot of single moms trying to survive and trying to raise some kids within our county. So there are a lot of physical needs in our community, but there's also a lot of spiritual needs within our community as well. There's thousands of people who do not know about a powerful relationship with Jesus Christ and that Jesus wants to help them in where they're at. There's a lot of people who are desperately need to know someone who can show them that they matter, that they matter to God, that they matter to us. And so next Sunday, we have a unique opportunity with 3G Sunday. We are going to go out and we are going to go to the people within our community and to show them that they matter, that they matter to God, that they matter to us. And so next week, just like those four guys gathered around their friend to bring him to Jesus, we're going to gather together to go out into our community and help our community. And so we know that we can't do it by ourselves. The need is too great, but together we can do more together. And so next week we are going to gather right here and we're going to go and we're going to see a need and meet a need. And we're going to be a friend to our community just like those guys were a friend to their community. Now, some of us, you know, we could make excuses and kind of say, you know, next week I'm working, you know, um, it'd be too much to try to change my schedule. Some of us might say, you know what, I was looking forward to a Sunday off kind of, you know, I was making big plans, you know, Um, you know, I'm not really good at painting. Uh, All the projects I wanted are full, but yet I don't really want to do those other projects. And we could make like a hundred reasons of why we can't go next week. But would you be the person who sees a need and meet a need? Would you be the person who comes out of the shadows of indifference to help people who need help to show that they matter and that they matter to God and that they matter to us? Would we unite next week with a real opportunity to make an impact on our community? So let me get real practical. We've got 16 projects that we are doing in our community next week. Seven of them are full. Nine of them are still open. And five of them need really like a lot more people to sign up for them, okay? Now let me tell you about some of those that we really need a lot of people. 
Right behind us is Frida Zamba Pool, okay? We called up Palm Coast City and we said to them, how can we help you? And they said, you know what? It would be amazing if you could knock that out. It usually takes about a thousand man hours to paint those three buildings. Would you do that for us? So we have a real need. Can you meet that need? We've got about uh, 10 people who are signed up or 18 maybe as of after this morning, but we still need a total of 40 people to sign up. So we need about 20 of you to sign up for that project. I mean, wouldn't it be cool that the city officials look at us and say, oh my goodness, a church is doing that for us? Man, feels like we matter to them, you know? And then there's three houses in Benel. The project's called Brush for Kindness. We partner with Habitat for Humanity. And there's houses over there um, that haven't been painted in decades. And there's one woman, um, one of the owners of this house, she's been saving up for a long time and buying one gallon of paint, buying another gallon of paint, buying another gallon of paint, and she doesn't have enough money to have somebody to help her paint her house. Wouldn't it be cool if we showed up and showed her that she mattered and be able to paint her house for free? And so we need about 25 of you to sign up for that project to paint those houses that are in Bunnell. And then another project, we called up the city of Bunnell and we said, hey, how can we help you? And they said, you know what? Things have gotten hectic around here. One of our biggest needs is actually just to pick up some trash along Moody Boulevard and US-1 within the city of Bunnell. And so wouldn't it be amazing if we go out there with our epic t-shirts on a Sunday morning, everybody's like, uh, isn't that epic church? Like, uh, aren't they supposed to be in church, you know? Um, so wouldn't it be amazing as people stop by and saying, what are you guys doing? And we say, you know what? We care about our community. And so we're giving of our time to show that we care about our community. And so there's tons of opportunities. We've got a house build to be able to give somebody a house. We've got an opportunity to partner with a church that has partnered with us to cheer us on all this time that we've been in existence for five years. And so they need some landscaping help. We can simply do that and help them out and it would be a tremendous help to them. We've got a team that needs some people to pray, pray for our entire community. We're gonna make it a time that one of our teams is here the entire time and they're praying for our community. And so would you, would you see a need and meet a need? That's the type of church that we want to be. We want to be able to see needs and meet needs. And can we meet all the needs? No, but we can make a start. And we can watch what God will do as only he knows what hangs in the balance. Only he knows where people are at in their lives. Only he knows the people that he's working on to bring them out of the shadows. And when you meet a need, you might be a part of that plan that he has for those people that see you next week. And so would you, Sign up today. Today is the last day to sign up for all of our projects that are back there. Now, I'm going to close us in prayer, and Cody is going to come up and do some announcements, and he's got some really important announcements, especially a little more details on 3G Sunday for next week. And so let's pray together. Father, we just uh, thank you for who you are. God, we thank you so much for what you are doing in our lives. God, what a cool opportunity that we have before us. I've never been a part of a church except for this church that has said, you know what, we're going to give up a Sunday to go serve because people matter. And so God, would you just help us as we go out and would we hear stories of those who are impacted from the things that we do? And we'll just trust you with the results. We don't know how you're going to meet some of the needs that are out there, but we know that there are some physical needs that we can meet. And just like those four men who said, we've done what we can, well, God, you did the rest. 
And so, God, we trust you with our efforts. We look to you. And so it's going to be an exciting time next week as we come together to go and to give of our time and our abilities. So we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim, just for challenging us and seeing a need and meeting a need. I know, everybody, we have an opportunity next Sunday, uh, which is a great opportunity for us. But as we go through on our week, let's take it a step further. Uh, When you see a need, let's meet a need. need. Um, Let's be that church. Let's be those people and just take that step. My name's Cody Anderson, and I just got a few announcements for you, some important stuff happening here. If you could pick up your announcement sheet, which is right next to you, uh, that would help me out. Now, if you're new with us today, thank you for joining us. If you could, just stop over in the corner, in the back corner there at the Connection Center. We just want to personally meet you and answer any questions that you may have. Now, on Saturday, November 1st, one of our partners, Lifeline, is going to be having a fundraising golf tournament at the conservatory. Now, Lifeline is a, it's a 12-step recovery ministry here locally that we partner with, as well as several other churches. So if you would like to get a golf team together, just grab four of you and jump online at lifecoastchurch.com, and they have all the information to sign up on there. Now, another way you can partner with us through Changing Lives here at Epic is by giving. So if you call Epic your home and you would like to give, there's two ways that you can give. You can give online at theepicchurch.com or you can give in the giving boxes directly behind you. Now, on Sunday, October 26th at 3 p.m., we're going to be having a baptism. So if you've recently put your faith and trust into Jesus and haven't taken that step of baptism yet, this is going to be the perfect opportunity for you to show that inward change that Jesus is making into your life. So remember, it's at 3 o'clock. This is a little bit different than normal. We usually have it a little bit later. So on October 26th at 3 o'clock, we're going to be having that baptism. And to sign up, you can go online at theepicchurch.com, and you can sign up on the sign-up tab. So check that out. Now, last week we had our kickoff. We had 58 people come out for our five-week group experience to join men's, women's, and couples groups. So can you give them a hand and clap for that, please? That is an awesome step. And there's, if you didn't get a chance to check that out, um, there's still opportunity. Tonight at Palm Coast Community Church, you can join them out there. At four o'clock, we're going to have our women's and couples groups. And then at seven o'clock um, to 8.30, we're going to have our men's group. There will be childcare. Um, so anybody from sixth grade or younger can come and join there. They'll have that for you at the four o'clock time slot for the women's and couples groups. So come on out, check that out. We look forward to seeing you there. Now, here's the big one. This is exciting. This is our 3G, which we're having next Sunday, which is awesome. This is you guys seeing a need and meeting a need. So you get get, clap for that. That is awesome. We did this last year, had a great turnout, but... Now, we're not going to have our regular worship here at 9.15 or 11 o'clock. So as Tim mentioned, there's still several projects open. There's another sheet, a card next to you. Um, You could check out what projects we have open and what we have going on. So if you could pick that up. Um, But the deadline to sign up is today. Um, So there's going to be tables, as you can see in the back, for the areas that we need back there. Um, You can go back after service, check that out, and sign up for those areas still in need. Now, there is going to be childcare for nursery to kindergarten. So during that time, um, we will have that available, but we do need you to sign up to know how many uh, kids that we're going to have there. So you have that opportunity to go into the back, sign up there, or you can go online at theepicchurch.com, and under the sign-up tab, we have information you can sign up there also. Um, 
Now, what's going to happen is that we're going to be meeting here at 8.15. So you check in your kids, you come here, you sign into your location, and at 8.30, we're going to start it off right. We're going we're to have a little worship time up on here. Trent's going to come up, get us motivated with some awesomeness, and then we're going to take out and rock out. Now, um, what you need to check into is, our, is your end time. Um, a lot of these projects that we have are going to be ending at noon, but some of them go a little bit longer. So just keep an eye out for that. And also this week, you will get emails from your project leads to give you a little more information about what we have going on out there um, and about your project that you have. Now, um, make sure if you have an Epic shirt, a Surge shirt, um, any attire like that, wear it out there. Let's represent Epic Church as we're going out um, as a family. And just make sure that you dress um, with work clothes or whatever you signed up for that you're properly dressed in that attire. You don't want to be wearing a suit going out painting or anything like that, especially if we have students out there. They'll be flinging it everywhere. So just dress appropriately on what you're going out to do. It's going to be a great time, and I look forward to seeing you guys all out there. No, I think I covered everything. Thank you so much for coming out today. And then next week is 3G. So we'll see you next week.